0: They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: bring us here at Bible with the Barbers, and Terry stepped out for a minute, but he'll be back. Um, You know, this is Easter season, and we're in the Easter season. We're celebrating the resurrection of the Lord. By the way, um, instead of the Angelus three times a day, we're supposed to be praying the Regina Chaley three times a day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Queen of heaven, rejoice, alleluia. For he whom you merited to bear, alleluia, has risen as he said, alleluia. Pray for us to God, alleluia. Rejoice and be glad, O Virgin Mary, alleluia. For the Lord is truly risen, alleluia. O God, who by the resurrection of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, have vouchsafed to make glad the whole world, grant we beseech thee that through the prayers of the Virgin Mary, we may rejoice to share in his resurrection. Through the same Christ, our Lord, Amen. amen. We are an Easter people. Alleluia is our song. Amen. Amen. So the reading today from the second week of Easter Tuesday is from the Gospel of John. And this is John 3 where John, Nicodemus had come to Jesus by night. Mm-hmm. And he's talking to him and he's like, you know, and Jesus is, Jesus, he, he, he's feeling him out about what is salvation about? What is your message? What is, and Jesus tells him, you have to be born again of water and the spirit. And now today's reading, he says, well, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you have to be born from above. Well, the word above, it could mean anew. Again, or it can mean above. And, and Jesus is telling to be born from above. And he says, Although the wind blows, you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. And that's how it is with people who are born of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be born of the Spirit. But that Spirit comes to us, Jesus had already said, of water in the Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit in baptism. So we need, he's talking about baptism. We need to be baptized. And Nicodemus is still confused. And Jesus is saying to him, Well, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand this? I'm talking to you about water and spirit. These are just you know these are things that are we can understand, you know, especially water. This is a very earthly thing. And if you don't understand when I talk to you about earthly things, how are you going to understand if I talk to you about heavenly things? And then he says that no one has gone up to heaven except the one who has come down from heaven, the son of man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the son of man be lifted up so that everyone, believe, everyone who believes in him might have eternal life. So Jesus is saying he has come down from heaven. He's not, not as man did he come down from heaven. The second person of the Blessed Trinity, the Son of God, came down from heaven. He took to himself a human nature in his mother's womb. He became man. And that he will be lifted up. And in his being lifted up, and we've seen all this in, in the, the passion of our Lord, in his Paschal mystery, when he was lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. You know, and that's interesting. We, we really need to pray because our faith is under attack. The world always opposes God. Sure. It has from the beginning. And we tend to get caught up in the things of this world. And we expect God to give us a perfect earthly paradise. Mary,
2: this is what we talked about with the Terry and Jesse show, that we have to be countercultural to the world. And even 2,000 years ago, I mentioned the first 300 years of the Catholic Church. Every decade, every 10 years, we were growing 20%. And we were involved in a very pagan world at the time, similar to what we're experiencing now. And my comment is what you just said, we have to be countercultural. We have to be different, right? And you know, I find that when I talk to Christians and Catholics, they want to kind of just blend in. Many of them they say, "Well, I just, you know, I have my faith on we on on Sunday, I go to mass, and then that's it." No, our faith has to affect every aspect of our life. Exactly. And I believe, Mary, that when this happens, when we go back to being countercultural, that's when the church is going to grow because right now. We have too many views that are very
1: similar to the world. It's true. It's true. And we, you know, part of the problem here is ideas have consequences. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the old saying, show me your friends and I'll tell you who you well, are. Said that, yeah. You know, it, there was a good book was considered a friend. Yeah. Well, now what do we do nowadays? We have the social media. We have entertainment. <laughs> what are we living for in our culture? Yeah. Are we living for just to be entertained, yeah. to be titillated? How does that even fit in with the gospel at all? The gospel isn't about having a comfortable life or being titillated. Jesus didn't come to eradicate human suffering. He came to fill it with his presence. The cross is a very sure sign Mm -hmm. of what our Lord came to do. He didn't come to eradicate the suffering. It's not, oh, he did all the suffering, I don't need to suffer. No, he didn't take it away. God did not make death and he did not make sin, Mm -hmm. okay? And people, people like to... I don't know, they like to play these mind games. Oh, well, you know, if God hadn't created, how could he have known what was gonna happen? Well, excuse me, God is God and I am not. Oh my gosh, he's all knowing. He's all knowing. (laughs) And the deal is, yeah, God was sufficient unto himself. He's a a community of love and life. He's not a solitude. He's a a community, he's the first family. He's father, son, and Holy Spirit. You know, father, son, and the essence of the family, which is love. John Paul II said he's the first family. So he was sufficient unto himself. He had no need to create. That we exist wasn't a necessity. God didn't have to create us. But love is diffusive. Mm -hmm. Love wants to share itself. And even though God is a community of love and life, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he shares love within himself in his own life, he wanted to make creatures with whom he could share his joy and his happiness so out of his sheer goodness and the bounty of his love, he made, he created, and everything. God's providence is absolutely universal. And we've lost sight of this. We think, oh, well, you know, obviously there can't be a good God because there's so much evil in the world. Or, oh, if there can't be a good God because he wouldn't allow all this evil. No, we don't know that. We're not God. Go back and read the book of Job. You know, wait a minute. Who am I to tell God what he can and can't do? But God gave us freedom. He wants us to love. God is love. And he wants us to love. And in order to love, we have to be free. He could have created a universe of automatons that had to be obedient to him. You know, there are movies about that where people create, you know, and they create these robots or whatever, and the robots have to do everything they say. Well, that's not love. <laughs> that's not love at all. Our God is not a slave master. Our God is not the creator of... Uh, automatons and, and technology, our God is love. And he created us out of love. And he calls us into union with himself and to live a life of union with him. And in order to do that, we have to be free. Because if we're not free, we can't love. Love, in order to be love, has to be freely given. You know, that's why in the Catholic Church, shotgun weddings are not, um, <laughs> they're, not they're not marriages. <laughs> they're, they're not valid. Because you can't force a person. If somebody wants to marry, they have to marry freely. And God freely married his people. He calls us to be his bride, every one of us. The human soul is always feminine to God because the human soul is completely dependent on God for everything. God is not male or female, (laughs) People, human beings are male or female and God made them specifically either male or female and it's in your DNA that is. And I realize there's a lot of people out there have been terribly wounded. They've been wounded by the use of, they've been wounded by the death, the culture of death and everything the culture of death encompasses. Living for pleasure, the contraceptive mentality, the divorce mentality, the mentality that I'm first and I get to serve myself and everybody else should be serving me. This is all part of the culture of death. And remember, the devil was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And the deal about the culture of death is it's based on a lie that you can live for yourself and find complete fulfillment. You can't because you were made in God's image. And God is love and love gives itself away. Love is diffusive and it desires to give for the good of the beloved. God gains nothing from giving us life. He gains nothing from making us and from sharing his life with us but we gain everything. It was for our good. So in imitation of him, we give ourselves away in service to others, first of all, for their good, for their salvation. And in marriage specifically, man and woman, and that's how God made marriage. A man gives himself to a woman, a woman gives herself to the man she marries, and it's exclusive. It's permanent. It's lifelong. It cannot be ended by anything but death. And it's open to the possibility of life because love is diffusive and it gives itself away. And its purpose is that the husband and wife may help one another to grow in love. First of all, in God's love and in love for one another and the children that God may bless them with. And if not if not children, there's ways to serve within the, the community to, to love the people around you and to serve them always open to life, always open to giving and bringing God into every aspect of your life. There's no aspect of your life that is insignificant to God. God is love and he loves you and he loved you into being and he loved you as either male or female. And when he created you, that's what you were created as. And if there have been wounds in your life, if there are wounds in your life, wounds from a divorced family or wounds from a family, a parents that used contraceptives in their marriage or wounds from just the sins, our own sins. God can heal all that. But we have to go to him, and we have to acknowledge that we're wounded, and we have to acknowledge our need for him. We have to humble ourselves before the Lord. No, Lord, I don't understand everything. And no, Lord, you didn't come to remove all suffering, and I don't understand why you allow suffering, but I know that you can bring a good out of it because you would never allow an evil that you can't bring a good out of. And by the way, the greatest evil that ever happened on the face of this earth was when man killed God. When Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was crucified, deicide, that was the greatest evil that ever happened, and God only allowed it because he could bring about salvation through it. Now, that was a lot on this gospel, but Jesus, when he was raised up from the earth, drew all men to himself, if they're willing to come, but they have to freely come. We have to respond in love to love. So, when we come back, we'll talk about more in the Bible.
2: This is Terry Barber inviting you, all the men, to a men's conference June 15th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. This is going to be a day where we're going to talk about true masculinity. You know, there's a problem in the Catholic Church today. We have very few men who love the Catholic faith. And I know a lot of the wives that I'm listening to right now are saying, I want my husband to be on fire for the faith. Send him to the men's conference. Your son, send him to the men's conference by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. That's June 15th. When your husband comes back from this conference or your son, they're going to have a different view about their Catholic faith because they're going to meet three men who love Jesus and His bride, the Church, and are going to instill in them a love for Christ and His Church, the Eucharist, Our Lady. Bring them to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Sign up there or call 877-526-2151. Full sheen ahead.
0: It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
3: Well,
1: welcome back. And Terry stepped out again for a few minutes, but he'll probably be back in. <clears throat> but he promised you that we were going to talk today a little bit about how do we read the scriptures? What should be our attitude? Are we supposed to be approaching Scripture with an attitude of doubt that I have to question everything in Scripture? Well, did God really say that? Did God really mean that? Oh, gee. Well, it's interesting. The church has been constant in her teaching about sacred Scripture. And the constant teaching of the church is that sacred Scripture is the inspired Word of God and that it is inerrant. Now, the question is, and I think this is an important question to remember, which came first? First the Bible or the church, right? It is very important. Remember, the Jews didn't have a canon of scripture. They had no consistent canon. The Jews before the time of Christ had not set down a specific number of books that they believed were canonical. And there was discussion and disagreement among the Jews as to what was canonical. Some of them only accepted the first five books, the Sadducees. Some of them only accepted the first five books and some of the wisdom literature and the prophets, you know, some of the, and some of the writings, some of the historical books. But there was no consistent canon. So it wasn't until the bishops of the Catholic Church got together at the councils of Rome and Carthage and Hippo and set out what books do we as Christians under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit accept as being inspired by God, and inerrant. That is, giving to us faithfully, without error, what God intended for us to know. All right? And the church has been consistent in her teaching. Now, throughout the ages, you have people who disagree. You have people who break away and make their own little, you know, you had the Gnostic Gospels in the beginning, which, by the way, those secret Gospels that some people like to claim were just recently discovered. No. uh, The infancy narrative of um, Oh, gosh, I've forgotten their names now. There was one by Peter. There was one of Judas. And there were two. Um, one was the infancy narrative, of, and it, it has the name of one of the apostles on it, and the other was the gospel, according to that apostle. But there, there were forgeries, and the early fathers of the church knew they were forgeries. So how do we know? Well, number one, we go back to the fathers. We go back to the tradition of the church with a capital T. The church from the beginning had a tradition that is, not everything that Jesus said and did was written down. And even the, even the scriptures say this. And that St. Paul tells his, his readers that you must hold fast to what I've handed on to you, whether in writing or by word of mouth. So there were things that were passed on by word of mouth. Not everything was put down in writing. But we have recently the Second Vatican Council. Okay, This is an authentic exercise of the magisterium of the church. The magisterium of the church is the teaching office of the church. That is the Pope and the bishops in union with him. Now what's interesting is, yeah, you have theologians there who are consultants to the bishops, but it's not they who put together the constitutions or vote on them. It's the bishop and the the Pope. It's the Pope and the bishops in union with him. So we need to look at what the church teaches. And if anybody wants to know what Vatican II teaches, actually teaches, please go read the documents. Don't talk about the spirit of Vatican II. Don't read what other people say about it. Go back and read the documents. And there is a dogmatic constitution on divine revelation, the Latin name Dei Verbum, because the word of God, Dei Verbum. Now, in the prologue to this document, which was promulgated 18 November, 1965, hearing the word of God with reverence and proclaiming it with faith, the sacred synod assents to the words of St. John, who says, we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That's from the first letter of John, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Following then in the steps of the councils of Trent and Vatican I, this synod wishes to set forth the true doctrine on divine revelation and its transmission, for it wants the whole world to hear the summons to salvation, So that through hearing it may believe, through belief it may hope, and through hope it may come to love, which is a quotation from St. Augustine. So this is the purpose of divine revelation, so that we might hear the truth, we hear it summons, the summons to salvation, and then through the hearing we might believe the truth, and in believing it we might hope, and in hoping we may come to love. So this is the whole center of it, this is the core. What about divine revelation itself? Well, God in his good, good good morning, goodness. (laughs) I think that's the word. It's actually afternoon, isn't it? Yes, it's after 12. God in his goodness and wisdom to reveal himself and to make known the mystery of his will. All right. It pleased God in his goodness to make known himself. Just like God in his goodness creates, God in his goodness reveals himself. We want to make something clear here. That God exists is not an article of faith. Anyone can know that God exists. It's a self-evident truth that God exists. We were given a rational mind, a mind that is able to think and draw conclusions and reason and reflect. And the beauty of the world that exists, the order of the world that exists, that the world even exists, bespeaks. It shouts out to us that there had to be a creator. The creator is God. But God desires us to know who he is in himself. And we cannot know that apart from faith. That he exists, yes, we can know. But who he is in himself, we can't know apart from faith. So in his goodness, he decides to reveal himself to us, just like he decided to create us. And he could have created us in a natural state and left us in a natural state. You know, natural, just natural life, not not having any supernatural end. But he didn't do that. He created us to be in union with him. Well, in order for that to happen, we have to know him. And in order to know him as he is, we have to have the gift of faith. And he has to reveal himself. But God chose to do that. His will was that men should have access to the Father through Christ, the Word made flesh in the Holy Spirit and thus become sharers in the divine nature. Well, where did the church get that idea? Well, look at Ephesians 2.18 and 2 Peter 1, chapter 1, verse 4. The church goes on. By this revelation, then, the invisible God, and that's from Colossians 1.15 and 1 Timothy 1.17, from the fullness of his love addresses men, as his friends. Amazing. God, from the fullness of his love, addresses men, his creatures, as his friends. We're not his robots. We're not his slaves. We're his friends. Exodus 3.11, John 15, 14 and 15. Remember Jesus at the Last Supper says, I call you my friends. And he moves among them. God moves among us in order to invite and receive them into his own company. This economy of revelation is realized by deeds and words, which are intrinsically bound up with each other. As a result, the works performed by God in the history of salvation show forth and bear out the doctrine and realities signified by the words. The words, for their part, proclaim the works and bring to light the mystery they contain. The most intimate truth, which this revelation gives us about God and the salvation of man shines forth in Christ, who is in himself both the mediator and the sum total of revelation. So the church is teaching us that divine revelation is summed up in Jesus Christ. That the Son of God, the Word of God, remember the Son, it, the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Not the Word was a God, the Word was God. That's the Greek. <laughs> the Word was a God, was made up later by someone else. No, the Word is God, equal to the Father. He is the one word the Father speaks the word of perfect self-knowledge and he is the son. And then he returns to the father in love and the love between the father and the son is the Holy spirit. This is the triune God and Jesus Christ is himself, both the mediator and the sum total of revelation. So revelation is brought to us by the son of God and he is the sum total of revelation So, everything in the scriptures, the fathers of the church teach that everything in scripture bespeaks to us Christ and his coming. You see, God made man in perfect union with himself, right? In the beginning, read Genesis, Genesis 1, and man walked with God in the cool of the garden. But man allowed his trust in his creator to die in his heart. And he allowed himself to be deceived by his enemy, the devil, who was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And instead of trusting God, he disobeyed God. And when he did that, he shattered the perfect plan of God. Now, in shattering it, that doesn't mean he destroyed it. And God knew, of course, what man was going to do from the beginning. He knew how weak we are. He knew what he made. And he knew that if man didn't cling closely to him, that this would happen. And, of course, man sinned. God didn't abandon him. That's read that in Genesis. God promised, even though Adam had sinned and turned away from him, God promises a savior. He promises to send someone who will rectify the error that man made, the mistake. Yes, to error is human, even human before the fall, because it was the error of man allowing himself to let his trust in God die in his heart that caused the fall of man. So to err is human. We're not God. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. So we need God's help. And we need his revelation. And his revelation is not just the second person of the Blessed Trinity, but it is first and foremost the second person of the Blessed Trinity. But then God inspired men to write about his revelation. And can we trust his word? Do we need to doubt everything? Or can we have faith that what God is telling us is true and that he won't lead us astray. And that if we really understand the scriptures as they should be understood, and that's, again, we have no scripture is a matter of personal interpretation. We have the church. We wouldn't even have scripture if we didn't have the church. So Jesus gave us an authority to teach us. You know, it's interesting. In the Old Testament, God set up his church, the Jewish religion, the, the, the synagogue, the temple, And then people think, oh, but then in the New Testament, there's no church. It's just a spiritual reality. Why would God have set up his temple in the Old Testament, which wasn't a spiritual reality, just a spiritual reality, it was physical, and then not follow through in the New Testament? And we can talk more about that in the next segment. We'll talk more about divine revelation and what the church teaches us about how we're supposed to read the holy scriptures, the sacred scriptures, and accept divine revelation. Thank you for joining us here at Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful.
2: This is Terry Barber inviting you, all the men, to a men's conference June 15th at the Sacred Heart Chapel, this is going to be a day where we're going to talk about true masculinity. You know, there's a problem in the Catholic Church today. We have very few men who love the Catholic faith. And I know a lot of the wives that I'm listening to right now are saying, I want my husband to be on fire for the faith. Send him to the men's conference. Your son, send him to the men's conference by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877 526 2151 that's june 15th when your husband comes back from this conference or your son they're going to have a different view about their catholic faith because they're going to meet three men who love jesus and his bride the church and are going to instill in them a love for christ and his church the eucharist our lady bring them to virginmostpowerfulradio.org sign up there or call 877-526-2151 full sheen ahead
0: It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org.
2: Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow, that's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US1.
0: This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio.
1: Well, thank you, Jesse, and welcome back. We're here. Um, Terry has got lots going on, and we're just trying to keep everything together. So, again, I want to reiterate, Vatican Council II was not a break from the tradition of the Church. I, I would encourage everyone to get the documents of Vatican II. And when you get them, look very carefully at the footnotes. Okay? The footnotes connect you to the previous councils of the church, the fathers of the church, the doctors of the church. There's no break here. Okay? There are those who would like to interpret Vatican II with what's called, with Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI, called a hermeneutic of rupture. That is, Vatican II was doing something new. It was breaking away, making a new church. No, it wasn't. Vatican II was not breaking away. It wasn't making a new church. It was reiterating what the church has always taught and always believed. and can there be an authentic development of dogma throughout history? Yes. Every generation is supposed to come up with deeper insights into the meaning of the truths of the faith. That doesn't mean it changes. Deeper insights. And those insights can't contradict what happened in the past, but they can give you a deeper insight and and help to show you how to apply the church teachings in your own times to the specific challenges, the specific errors that are being spread in your time, okay? So this is what Vatican II is about. And one of the big difficulties was, it was ever since the Protestant Reformation, you had a, a huge problem because the Protestants, well, at, you know, at, in the 1500s when the Protestants broke away, um, Martin Luther took the book of Romans and where it said we are saved by faith, he put the word alone in there and he... The, the scripture never said alone, but he added it. And then he rejected certain books of the Bible because he didn't like the teachings. And so there was a question and question came up and further. And then you had the enlightenment and you had, you had a lot of error going on about scripture from the 1500s until, and it still goes on today because there's a lot of it. A lot of it was reiterated vehemently in the 20th century. Um, the Demethalization of the Gospels by Rudolf Boltmann. Rudolf Boltmann held the chair of theology at the University of Nuremberg under Hitler. And the reason he did is because essentially he said anything that appears to be miraculous or um, supernatural in the scriptures, we have to reject. And remember, Rudolf Bultmann, he's not Catholic. And um, Hitler kind of liked that. He really liked the way Rudolf Boltmann taught about scriptures that Jesus isn't really the son of God, mean, man, he's just a nice guy who gives us a good example about how to live with other people. But, uh, you know, we can't really trust the scriptures. And so the church had a lot to deal with. There was a lot of problems. The errors of modernism, which were condemned by Pius X. And so the church, in her wisdom, has this council, Vatican II. And again, get the documents and look at the footnotes. Look up the footnotes. The church is not breaking from tradition. The council fathers weren't breaking from tradition. These documents are extremely heavily footnoted, and they're very scripturally rooted. People who don't think the Catholic faith is not rooted in Scripture don't know the Catholic faith. The Catholic faith is very rooted in Scripture. Read the Catechism of the Catholic Church and look at that fo- those footnotes. Read the council documents and look at those footnotes. Okay. All of these things are rooted in the tradition, the sacred tradition. Not everything was passed on through scripture and we wouldn't even have scripture if it weren't for the church. The church existed first before we had a canon of scripture. The church existed for over 300 years before we had a canon of scripture. And so it was at the council of Trent, the church had to solemnly define that canon dogmatically. She hadn't done that yet, but she had to because the, Protestant reformers were throwing out certain books of the Bible and calling into question whether those books were inspired. Books that had been accepted for 1,500 years as the inspired word of God. And so now she dogmatically makes that proclamation. The church doesn't have to dogmatically proclaim something until it's brought into question. Okay? So the church wants us to read the scriptures as truly the word of God. God wanted us to know who he was he wanted us to know the truths that he revealed and he knew we couldn't do that without a great admixture of error unless he himself took it unto himself to inspire certain men to write and to pass on the truths that he revealed. And so we have, you know, this whole document on divine revelation which I encourage everyone to read. It's readable. And what you might do is read it through once and then go back and look up the scripture passages and then read it through with the scripture passages and then go back and look up the footnotes and then read it through with the footnotes. I tried one time reading it through once and looking up all the footnotes and scripture passages. And I was like, oh, uh, uh, I couldn't do it. I had to do it in stages. You have to do it a little at a time. You have to take little baby steps. And so God graciously arranged things, the things that he had once revealed for the salvation of all people, that these things should remain in their entirety throughout the ages and be transmitted to all generations. Therefore, Christ the Lord, in whom the entire revelation of the Most High God is summed up, commanded the apostles to preach the gospel, which had been promised beforehand by the prophets and which he fulfilled in his own person and promulgated with his own lips. In preaching the gospel, they were to communicate the gifts of God to all men. This gospel is this, it was to be the source of all saving truth and moral discipline. This gospel, the gospel what? The fourfold gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the church refers to it as a single gospel because it is the testimony of the life of Jesus Christ. It is what he really did and taught while living among men, as she will say further on in in one of the paragraphs here in Dei Verbum. So this was faithfully done, and it was done by the apostles who handed on by the spoken word of their preaching and by the example they gave, by the institutions they established, by the institutions they established. Yes, the church, yes, Jesus Christ. Remember what I said about in the Old Testament? God had established the temple and a priesthood, and a proper way to worship. And when he established the New Testament, the covenant, the new covenant in his blood, he established the new temple, which is himself, but the church. So Jesus Christ came to found the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is found in the church that he established. And he only established one church. He only established one. And that was the Catholic church. Now, Protestants have the Bible, so they have part of the truth. We pray for them. They, the Protestants of today are not the ones who caused the split. They're not the ones who broke away. And we need to pray for the healing of the wound in the body of Christ, which is getting deeper because sin has invaded the church. Sin has invaded the hearts of people. We can't live like the pagans do and expect to be faithful to God. We can't live like the pagans do and expect God to bless us. No, we're supposed to bring God to them. We're not supposed to follow their ways. Go back and reread the Old Testament and look what happened. The Jews were supposed to bring God to the nations and they weren't supposed to fall into the idolatry of the nations, which by the way is an indication. You know, All peoples have a sense that there is a God, a creator, Someone who created, that we need to worship. And yet, how distorted or how incorrect the ideas of how that worship should take place can be if we don't have God himself to guide us. So just as he founded a church in the old law, the temple and the priesthood, so he founded a church in the new law, the new covenant, the New Testament, the church, the Catholic church and he gave us the seven sacraments as means of grace. It's not superstition. We believe that it is Christ working in and through his church to bring salvation, and that's what he came to do, was to free us from sin and death, not to take away suffering. He didn't come to take away suffering. Just because we follow Christ doesn't mean we're not going to suffer. You know, people wonder. It's like, well, you know, I'm a good Christian, and I pray, how come somebody in my family died, or somebody in my family got cancer, or Jesus didn't come to eradicate human suffering. And sometimes we're like, well, wait a minute, Lord, you worked a miracle for that family. Why aren't you working a miracle for my family? Again, are we trying to dictate to God how we should or shouldn't deal with his people? We need to humble ourselves before the Lord and acknowledge that we don't understand. And you know, it's okay to tell God that it hurts when someone in your family is sick or suffering or has left the faith, okay? Or if there's strife in your family, if there's contention and discord. Some of that's going to come from sin. We need to give up the sin. But some of it just comes from human nature and the differences between people, you know, personality differences. It's not necessarily sin. You know, all discord doesn't come from sin. Discord comes from the fact that we have different personality types, (laughs) by the way. And so Jesus Christ came, but he came to take away the sin. And he came to teach us to humble ourselves and to live in humility with one another What is it? St. Paul says in one of his letters, think humbly of all others as superior to yourself. How many of us try and do that every day, day in doubt? Truly think humbly of all others as superior to ourselves. It's like, oh, oh, wait a minute. Um, hmm. Maybe I need to look a little deeper into the scriptures and see a little more closely how Jesus lived. Remember the whole time he's walking about in Galilee and, and Judea, he's, he's not going around and lording it over people and saying, well, I'm God and you better bow down before me or I'm going to strike you dead. you know, Or I'm the master and you're the slave and you better do what I say or I'm going to strike you dead. No, he came to establish the kingdom. And the kingdom is a kingdom of love where we humble ourselves even as he humbled himself. Son, though he was, he became obedient unto death. And how was he able to do that? God can't die. God doesn't have a body. He took to himself a human nature. And in that human nature, he really experienced death. Because when Jesus Christ died on the cross and his soul and body really separated in death, that's what human death is, the separation of the body and the soul, not the cessation of brain waves, not brain dead. That's a lie. Again, the devil was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. This is, it's the separation of soul and body that is death. Jesus really died. His body and soul separated. And his divinity, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, really remained united to his body and soul in death. So he really experienced death. You want to make a donation, call 877-526-2151. If you have any questions or comments, 888-526-2151. We'll be back with more of Bible with the Barbers.
2: This is Terry Barber inviting you, all the men, to a men's conference June 15th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. This is going to be a day where we're going to talk about true masculinity. You know, there's a problem in the Catholic Church today. We have very few men who love the Catholic faith. And I know a lot of the wives that I'm listening to right now are saying, I want my husband to be on fire for the faith. Send him to the men's conference. Your son, send him to the men's conference by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877 526 2151 that's june 15th when your husband comes back from this conference or your son they're going to have a different view about their catholic faith because they're going to meet three men who love jesus and his bride the church and are going to instill in them a love for christ and his church the eucharist our lady bring them to virgin sign up there or call 877-526-2151 full sheen ahead
0: It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. Please, prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org.
2: Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US1.
0: Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment... Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Well, here I am (laughs) with my guarding angel, and Terry's here with us in spirit. So where are we at? On chapter three, we have the sacred scripture. It's divine inspiration and interpretation. And what does the church teach us? The divinely revealed realities, which are contained and presented in the text of sacred scripture, have been written down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For Holy Mother Church, relying on the faith of the apostolic age, accepts as sacred and canonical the books of the Old and New Testament, whole and entire, with all their parts on the grounds, that written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit they have God as their author and have been handed on as such to the church herself. And yes, God made use of human beings to write these things down. But when he made use of these authors, even though they acted as true authors, they did it in such a way that they consigned to writing whatever he wanted written and no more. Since, therefore, all that, is ins- all that the inspired authors or sacred writers affirm should be regarded as affirmed by the Holy Spirit. We must acknowledge that the books of Scripture, firmly, faithfully, and without error, teach the truth which God, for the sake of our salvation, wished to see confided to sacred Scripture. What's interesting here, there, is that some people like to take that phrase The truths which God wished to see confided to sacred scripture for the sake of our salvation as a limiting phrase, that only those things that apply to our salvation, that's not the sense that the church gives that. Everything in scripture applies to our salvation. Everything. Okay? Thus, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So God speaks to us in human fashion, right? He uses the words of men to teach the truth that he wished to teach. Isn't it interesting? The son of God became man so that God in human form spoke to us. And in scripture, God uses human words to speak to us. Everything that is in scripture is inspired by God. Now, are there some things that were provisional in the Old Testament? Absolutely. Were there some things imperfect? Yes. In what sense? Well, number one, is God approving sin because sin is talked about in the Old Testament? Is God approving polygamy because a polygamy was practiced by the patriarchs? Is God approving us killing in his name because of all the wars that take place in the Old Testament? No, no, God is not. He didn't approve of sin. Man chose sin. God didn't make sin. Man chose sin. Again, sin is not a creation. Sin is a rejection. It's a rejection of God and his goodness. Okay. The polygamy of the Old Testament. No, God didn't approve of that. He allowed it just like he allowed Moses to allow the Israelites to have divorce after they left Egypt, right? Well, Moses commanded us. No, Moses didn't command you. Moses commanded that there'd be a writ of divorce if you're going to divorce your wife, but it was because of the hardness of your hearts. So Jesus comes and he fulfills the old law. He fulfills all of the types that are in the Old Testament, and he brings it to perfection. So things that were provisional in the old law aren't going to be there in the new law. The dietary um, laws aren't there. The animal sacrifice isn't there. The need for the temple in Jerusalem is no longer there. Because Christ himself is the temple, and there's only one high priest. It is Christ. And the priesthood of the Catholic Church is not a bunch of individual men exercising power over everybody. It's Jesus Christ acting in and through the priesthood that he established. This was his way. He established this. And we know this from the scriptures, and we also know it from the early church and the tradition that Jesus gave. Everything that Jesus said and did wasn't written down. The Gospel of John tells us that. Everything that he... John said, I don't think the world could contain the books. And people laugh. Oh, that's such a bunch of hyperbole. Well, wait a minute. We're still writing books about it, aren't we? We're still writing books to explain what Jesus meant. (laughs) Here we are 2,000 years later, and people are still writing books (laughs) to explain what the four Gospels mean, what the fourfold Gospel means, I should say. And so what is in the Scriptures is what God really intended for us to know and that is that he made us in union with him. He made us in his image, and he expects us to live the moral life. The Ten Commandments were not provisional. Yes, there were things in the Levitical law that were provisional, but the Ten Commandments were not. That Joshua that had to cleanse the Holy Land from sinful people. Remember, if you read that carefully, um, God said that his people would be in Egypt until the Canaanites had filled up their full cup of wrath. God gives us a chance to turn away from sin. He always gives, but there comes a point when he says, no more, I won't allow you anymore. And God would have fought the battles for Israel in the Holy Land if they had gone in and did what God said, but they didn't obey God. And isn't that the way we do it? God tells us to do something we don't obey and then we blame him, okay? He says, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Pray, pray always. Pray always, not once in a while, not once or twice a day, not just in the morning and at night, all the time. Everything, our whole life should be lived in the presence of God as a constant breathing in and out of his presence to be aware of the fact that he's always with us and loving us. And this is what his divine revelation is about. He didn't just come to live among us a thousand years ago, 2000 years ago when Jesus walked on the earth. Remember Jesus Christ established the Eucharist. He is still present among us. And not only that, he gives us his Holy Spirit to live in us, to live in the church. He gives us his grace through the sacraments, not only his actual grace. That is the helps that we need to do our duty day in and day out, but his life, his very own life. We share in the life of God by baptism. We were brought into union with God Every time we receive the sacrament worthily, we receive an increase of that life of God in our soul. You want the Lord to reveal himself to you? Then tell him so. And ask him to to help you be honest and to put away all sin and all encumbrance of sin so that you're no longer caught up in the knots of sin because sin darkens the intellect and it weakens the will. So the church teaches us That what's written in the scriptures is what God intended and nothing more. Now, some of it is the history of his people. And he intended us to know the history because he wants us to see what happens when we turn away from him. So we have to know what sin does to us and what the consequences of sin are. That doesn't mean he approves of sin. It's there, though, because it really happened. And he really wants us to learn the lesson. But he had promised a Savior, and he continued to promise, and he promised again and again. And in the New Testament, how are we supposed to read the Gospels? Okay, Christ established his kingdom, which is the church, and he revealed the Father to us, all right, by his words and his deeds, and he sends the Spirit to complete his work. And the writings of the New Testament perpetuate the divine witness to these realities, The Gospels have a special place, and rightly so, because they are our principal source for the life and teaching of the incarnate word, our Savior. What is your principal source? What is Q? What is that hidden source for the life and teachings of our Lord and Savior? The Gospel. Oh, oh my goodness. The Gospel? Yeah, the Gospels. Have a special place, and rightly so, because they are our principal source for the life and teaching of the incarnate Word, our Savior. Scholars, listen up. The church is showing us the way. Jesus Christ through his church is showing us the way. The church has always and everywhere maintained and continues to maintain the apostolic origin of the four gospels, the fourfold gospel by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The apostles preached as Christ had charged them to. And then under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they and others of the apostolic age handed on to us in writing the same message they had preached, the foundation of our faith, the fourfold gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And she goes on in paragraph 19 to say that she unhesitatingly affirms the historicity of the gospels. Now, that's not modern Western history Again, you have to go back and study what, uh, but it's true history. It really is teaching us what Jesus really did and taught while living among men. It's not making things up. It's not pretending that um, things didn't really happen that way, but the apostles needed to help people to understand all the suffering. No, Jesus didn't come to eradicate human suffering. You know, it's interesting. In the early church, people were living with martyrdom on a constant basis. As a matter of fact, they prayed for the grace of martyrdom. They didn't run out and say, here, I'm a Christian, because they learned real quick. The people who ran out and said, here, I'm a Christian. Come and take me. I'll be martyred for my faith. Those people apostatized. They hid as best they could, and they tried to run away and hide as best they could from the persecution. But when the persecution came, they begged God for the grace. Martyrdom is glorious. A person who dies a martyr for the faith goes straight to heaven. Greater love no man has than to lay down his life for his friend. We cannot have greater love than to lay down our life for Jesus Christ. In the West today, we're being called to live a different kind of martyrdom. We're being called to be countercultural and not give in to the errors of our time. We're being called to live the gospel fully, despite the fact that the world, the flesh, and the devil are saying, oh no, it's okay. God knows we're all sinners and it doesn't bother him. Oh, it does bother him because it destroys what he created. God created us in his own image, and when we sin, it destroys his image in us, and it bothers him tremendously. God didn't make us for sin, and he didn't make us for slavery. We're not slaves. God is not a slave master. He's a father who loves his children. He's a father who's raising up his children. You know, divine pedagogy. He's the father of a family, and we are his family. He sent his son. That's how we know he's a father, because he has a son. And the Holy Spirit is the essence of the, of, of the family, Re- reflect the essence of the family. The family reflects the Holy Spirit in love. So the father, son, the, the human family is a reflection of the original divine family. And the scriptures tell us the truth about God. We can really trust them. And they're not made up. They're not some fantasy world, but they really pass on to us the truths that God wanted us to know. That doesn't mean there's not different types of literature in the scriptures, Okay, I'm not denying that. There's poetry, there's history, there's you know historic novel, as it were, pos- and then there's there's the the um, historic biography. The Gospels are an ancient biographical record of the life of Jesus Christ. So, we want to cling to the Word of God, because God is our salvation. It's God Himself who is our salvation, and He reveals Himself to us through his word, and through his church. He founded his church, and it is his church. So we want to live fully in the grace of Christ. We want to live in the freedom of the sons of God, and we want to grow daily in our love for sacred scripture and in our confidence, confidence that God truly has spoken to us through the scripture, and he really, really is with us in the Eucharist. And that he really teaches us the truth. And we have the power to live the truth and be free of sin and live in union with God. And that's the good news of the gospel. And that's the good news of the scriptures. And God loves us and he will never stop loving us. So let's beg for
3: him the grace that we will love him in return. Thank you for joining us. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests Oh my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole church, Grant it love and the light of Thy Spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to Thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou Thyself maintain them in holiness. O Divine and Great High Priest, may the power of Thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio
0: Sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.